833-GOT-TONY. That's the number to call here on Tony Cast today. My name is Cam Edwards, editor at BearingArms.com, host of the Cam & Company podcast, sitting in for Tony Katz. And uh, some good news to report of the March job numbers. 916,000 new jobs added for the month of March. Unemployment rate falling to 6% as the uh, country reopens. Uh, during the uh, COVID pandemic, more Americans are getting vaccinated, not uh not all of us, but apparently around uh, 30% of the American population has uh, received the vaccine. And that's actually bad news for some of the authoritarians out there who I think would like to keep us on lockdown and would like to use the pandemic to establish more control over our lives. We're going to talk about that this hour, but... Uh, in terms of the economy, Quincy Crosby, chief market strategist at Prudential Financial, says the numbers show, quote, the economy is healing, that those who lost their jobs are coming back into the workforce as the recovery continues and restrictions are lifted. He says the only concern here is if we have another wave of COVID that leads to another round of closures. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd love to get your take at 833-GUY-TONY. I don't think we're going to have another round of widespread closures. I think that day has come and gone. Uh, You know, we went through months of lockdowns. Things are still not back to normal. Uh, I have a friend who owns a restaurant. They are now operating at 50% capacity. They're allowed to operate at 50% capacity. They are allowed uh, to uh, continue serving alcohol until midnight, as opposed to 10 p.m., which was the uh, the earlier restriction in place. But, you know, I, I think not only have Americans, by and large, gotten sick of these lockdowns, there's very little evidence that these lockdowns actually do anything to prevent the spread of COVID. Look at what has happened in Texas since Governor Greg Abbott allowed the state to reopen, said, look, we're, we're open for business here. Uh, individual businesses, sure, you can have your mask uh, requirements if you want, but we're not putting any state level restrictions in place on businesses anymore. Uh, Matter of fact, Texas Rangers opening day, full capacity at the ballpark in Arlington. Uh, President Joe Biden says uh, that's a a huge mistake. Uh, Listen, you can call it a mistake, but the numbers don't lie. The cases in Texas are among the lowest right now in the country, and there are states that are still on lockdown where we are seeing COVID cases rise. So the idea that there's going to be this automatic response, we've got to lock everything back down, uh, if the uh, case numbers start going up again, look, we may be seeing that in France and in other European nations, but I think that day has come and gone across much of America. And again, it, it um, it, it is upsetting some folks that we are done with lockdowns uh, over at uh, CNN, Lena, uh, Lena Wynn, who's a CNN medical contributor, had talked about how she's upset seeing these states reopen for business because she says there's a limited window here to try to use the idea of vaccine passports to, in her words, encourage Uh, But in in my opinion, to shove uh, Americans towards getting a vaccine, what what, she worries, you know, look, if everything's reopened, then uh, why would Americans feel compelled to get a vaccine? We need to limit Americans behavior and we need to tie their freedoms in to whether or not they have obtained a vaccine. It is, I think, a, a, a very stark look 
at the mindset of a lot of folks on the left who really do see crises as an opportunity to advance their agenda. And sadly, for many of these individuals, their agenda involves limiting our individual freedom in the name of public safety or in the name of the greater good. Uh, And the, the, the science just simply doesn't bear out what they are saying right now. But what's interesting is that there's also, I think, a recognition among many private business owners that the idea of a vaccine passport simply isn't going to fly. Uh, George Benjamin, who's the executive director of the American Public Health Association, not somebody who you would call a a rock-ribbed conservative by any stretch of the imagination, says that the idea of a vaccine passport is a slippery slope. He says it could politicize the vaccine rollout. He says it could make uh, uh, vaccinated people get lulled into a false sense of security. He said, quote, it's impractical. This is a nation that does not allow a national identity card. He says getting compliance is going to be hard. And I think it leads to politicization. He says, I would like to avoid that. Well, I'm glad to hear him say that because I think there are a lot of other folks who would like to see us avoid that as well. Audrey Schaefer's the head of communications at uh, National Independent Ventures Association. Uh, they represent local performance spaces across the country. She told the uh, Stat News in an email, uh, we're grateful to learn that there will not be a national mandated verification program. She says, well, vaccine verification is the hot topic. We have questions and concerns surrounding the effectiveness of only implementing verification at live events and not other businesses where people gather, the cost implications for small businesses and equitable access and ethical issues surrounding such programs, which I think is a a very uh, long-winded way of saying this is a horrible idea. And and we're really glad to see that, uh, for the moment anyway, a, a national mandated vaccine verification program uh, is uh, unfeasible, uh, I think, is the uh, probably the, the nicest way to put it here. But again, the, 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 the would-be authoritarians among us, uh, they're not giving up. Even if the Biden administration does not impose some sort of vaccine passport, they want private industries to do this themselves. They want groups like the National Independent Venues Association to say, you're not coming in to see a concert. You're not going to go watch a baseball game. You're not going to gather in our space unless you can show that you've had a vaccine. And if you can't show your vaccination card or your vaccine passport, then we're not letting you in. That's what they want these businesses to do, which is absolutely and utterly insane. Again, I have no problem whatsoever with folks who want to get the vaccine. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I am, I'm not on a waiting list right now, um, only because I, I, I'm way down the list of priorities. But my wife is a high-risk American. She uh, has lung cancer, and I would really like to be able for her to get the vaccine. I've been doing all of the uh, the outside work outside of the house, going to the grocery store, doing all the other, you know, running errands and stuff like that for over a year now. Uh, and and I'd like, not only would I like for her to be able to, you know, get back to doing some of that for, <laughs> for, for my sake, but for her sake as well, because she's been kind of stuck in the house. She's been limited to what she can do because we want to make sure that 
were keeping her safe. I would love for her to be able to go out and uh, have dinner at a restaurant or to, you know, uh, go to the grocery store, to uh, go to an arts and crafts store in person instead of having to, you know, look online for her uh, arts and crafts supplies and her yarn and all the other stuff she likes to do. That would be fantastic. I think it would be so beneficial to her mental health. But I don't think she should be required to flash some sort of ID card before she walks into Hobby Lobby or Michael's. That idea is is absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. And it is going to lead to the uh, uh, politicizing uh, of the vaccines. But we shouldn't be surprised by that because the left wants to make everything political. Nothing is outside of the boundaries of politics for the left, including whether or not you have received the vaccine. Even if you live in a state that has done a horrible job of uh, administering their vaccination programs, that doesn't matter. Uh, Again, the idea is to keep you under their thumb as much as possible. And that is one of the few commonalities I think that the uh, the left has throughout their ideology right now. There 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 are so many internal contradictions in the uh, uh, you know democratic platform and what Democrats are trying to do. But one of the commonalities is always about establishing their power and their authority to control what you do in your private life. It used to be. When I was growing up, it was the Republicans. It was the conservatives who wanted to get all up in your business, right? They wanted to tell you what you could and couldn't do in the bedroom. Well, those days are gone. And now the liberal left has become the illiberal left. And they are the ones who are pushing for greater government control over every facet of our life. We're going to talk more about this. And I want to get your phone calls as well. 833-GOT-TONY is the number to call on this Good Friday edition of Tony Katz today. We're going to step away for a moment or two, but we will be back with much more coming up right after this. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number to call. My name is Cam Edwards, host of... The Bearing Arms Cam and Company podcast, just as you can find Tony Cast today at Rumble.com. You can find Bearing Arms Cam and Company at Rumble.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, uh, and more. You can also uh, find me at BearingArms.com, where I am the editor and uh, posting the latest Second Amendment news and information each and every day of the week. We've got uh, a number of stories uh, coming up this afternoon about the uh, latest push for gun control and some of the uh, the idiotic arguments uh, that we're seeing about the uh, the push for gun control. We've got a piece coming up in about uh, actually I think the piece might have gone up in about uh, about uh, uh, earlier this afternoon. Uh, there was a uh, a column from a uh, gentleman who is a, a PhD student in public health out in Hawaii who is bemoaning the fact that we're not more like South Korea and Japan and Australia when it comes to our gun laws and pointing to those countries as a model uh, for uh, for a gun control agenda. And we we absolutely obliterate this guy's uh, argument because uh, these are all countries that have never had 
a, uh, a, a, a culture of lawful gun ownership. Uh, in South Korea right now, there are about 200,000 legally owned firearms. In Japan, I'm sorry, a half a million legally owned firearms in South Korea, about 200,000 legally owned firearms uh, in Japan. Even in Australia, which did have a, you know, it still has somewhat of a, a culture of uh, a lawful gun ownership. There are only about 3.6 million firearms. Uh, in the uh, nation of Australia. That is, by the way, more guns than were in private hands back when Australia had their gun confiscation in the 1990s. And gun control hasn't gone away in Australia. Here in the United States, we have more than 100 million Americans who exercise their Second Amendment rights. We have more than 400 million privately owned firearms in this country. Uh, And according to the uh, FBI's National Instant Check System, we added 2 million more firearms to the ones that we already own in the month of March. This was the second highest month on record in terms of NIC checks for uh, firearm transfers, according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So uh, those of you wondering when the cost of ammunition is going to return to normal, um, I have bad news for you. You're probably going to be waiting a while. Uh, because the demand is still so high, we have Americans who are embracing their Second Amendment rights for the very first time, much to the chagrin and the anger of the illiberal left, uh, who, again, wants to control every possible aspect of our life, from the guns that we own, to the pillows that we sleep on at night, to the words that come out of our mouth, to where we can go and what we can do if we don't have a vaccine Uh, and a vaccine passport that we're carrying around with us. The CDC, for example, uh, just released new guidance on travel for those who have had the vaccine. Washington Post headline, fully vaccinated people may travel, CDC says. Well, of course they can. And guess what? Unvaccinated people may travel too. Now, you're going to have to abide by the, uh, the rules of the airlines, or the, uh, the bus companies, or, or Amtrak, but there's no prohibition on anybody in this country traveling freely within its borders. And yet the headline again for the Washington Post, which I would say is squarely on the illiberal left these days, well, you may travel. Mm-hmm. We will travel if we need to and if we want to. And there's nothing that the CDC or the uh, illiberal scolds can say about it. This is, uh, you know, look, back in the, this is not your father's Democratic Party or even your grandparents' Democratic Party. Back in the 1960s, the left was the let your freak flag fly party, right? They were all about, man, just be yourself and do what you got to do. Not anymore. Oh, no, no. When they're not in power, their keyword is resist. When they are in power, their keyword is obey. And we see this in so many different aspects of our life. In fact, you know, in the Georgia voting law, you've got all of these woke corporations now who are coming out like Delta Airlines and say, oh, this is horrible. We, we, got, we got to speak up and, and say something. And Governor Brian Kemp pointed out this week to Delta Airlines, look, you had your opportunity to weigh in on the provisions of the voting bill that we just passed. And guess what? While this was making its way through the legislature, you were supportive of it. 
It was only when the scolds came out of the woodwork and started wagging their fingers and demanding that you oppose this measure that all of a sudden you start issuing your press releases. All of a sudden you start spouting off in opposition to the bill that you were silent about when we were actually holding the committee hearings, when we were actually taking public testimony before the votes were even cast, you guys just said nothing. Once the bill has become a law and the woke left gets involved here, trying to uh, turn this uh, new law into a scandal, then the, the woke corporations and those who I don't even think are necessarily woke, but those who want to avoid controversy, those who, who don't want to be uh, the subject of a Twitter hashtag calling for a boycott, then they feel compelled to speak up on the side of the left in order to cover their own rear ends. Uh, at National Review, the editors have a, uh, an editorial today. Georgia should stand up to corporate bullies. And they write, a variety of factors have led to the capture of America's major corporations by the social justice warrior wing of the Democratic Party. Corporate C-suites and legal and human resources departments are increasingly staffed by products of woke university educations. The diversity and inclusion business sector is now billing itself as an $8 billion a year industry. $8 billion a year. And they say one result is that sports leagues, Hollywood, big business have gotten into the habit over the past decade of threatening to pull their businesses from states whose legislatures pass laws that don't meet the approval of the cultural left. And they're at it again in Georgia. Companies such as Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, pressuring the state over its recent revisions to its voting and election laws, pressure based in large part on false Democratic talking points about the bill. Uh, The National Review editors say this sort of cultural partisanship is an abuse of the corporate form, a legal abuse in a free country. We might rightly let companies make their own choices, but an abuse nonetheless of the assets entrusted to corporate managers by their shareholders for the purpose of making money. They write people invest in Delta Airlines because they want to grow their own assets for retirement, not because they want to enlist to whatever partisan battle Stacey Abrams wants to wage in a given week. And they say it is time for states like Georgia to start calling the company's bluff. Actually, relocating operations, they write, over a momentary political controversy is costly and painful. A few may carry out through threats, but if they find the tactic meeting regular resistance, they will be less likely to repeat it. So how do we push back against the uh, illiberal scolds? We're going to talk about that on the flip side of the break. Stick around. We have much more Tony Katz today coming up right after this. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number to call. My name is Cam Edwards, editor at BarryandArms.com, sitting in for Mr. Katz on this Good Friday, and I hope that you are getting ready to enjoy your Easter weekend. Talking about uh, what to do to push back against the illiberal left uh, that wants to control everything uh, and are enlisting... Uh, some some reluctant allies. I don't even call them allies, so, but but they're drafting corporations into their fight, threatening boycotts against companies that don't parrot the uh, the far left talking points on uh, any given piece of legislation or uh, you know culture war item out there. Uh, the the latest example of this is taking place down in Georgia, where uh, Delta Airlines came out after the voting bill in Georgia went into effect and. And started uh, wagging its fingers. Oh, this is horrible. This is this is rotten. This is awful. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia firing back, saying, "Look, you guys had the opportunity to weigh in during the legislative process, and uh, and you actually supported it until 
the left started giving you grief and started demanding that you speak up and speak out against this new law. The editors at National Review with a, uh, I think, a fantastic editorial saying that the best medicine for corporate overreach is for state officials to stand their ground and to call the company's bluff. They say if Republican-run states show solidarity with one another, not allow themselves to be picked off one at a time, that they can take a stand. They say they can start by not poaching businesses that pull out of another state over a culture war flap. In other words, if uh, Delta says, well, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about moving our, uh, our, our operations outside of Georgia. Okay, well, we don't, we don't want to see Florida or South Dakota or Texas or another red state uh, say, hey, you can come here, you know. There, there's no point in that. The uh, editors say, welcoming a company that arrives on those terms is just asking for your own governance to be held hostage later. They write, few companies or sports leagues are actually prepared to simultaneously boycott half of these states in the country. States can still compete over a better business climate. Companies will respond to that because it involves the long-term interests of business rather than its response to a single news cycle. They write that many corporate managers would be quietly relieved if they were no longer expected to jump into every debate that trends on woke Twitter. And I'm sure that that is the case. But here's the thing. Who sets those expectations? And I, again, I think it's the liberal left because they are the loudest voices. You know, I I consider myself to be a member of the Leave Me Alone Coalition. Just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I I have no desire to uh, infringe on anybody else's rights, but I don't want my rights infringed on. And at one point in time, the Leave Me Alone Coalition, I, I think, was large but fairly quiet. I think we are still as large, but we need to start using our voices, too. And it, it, it's, it's annoying because it means that we have to get involved in a lot of these political fights that, uh, that we may think are unnecessary or unneeded. And we really don't want to spend our time responding to every woke scold out there. That's not how I want to spend my days when I'm not working, when I'm not, you know, uh, doing my job. I want to be able to hang out and spend time with my family. I want to go shoot on my property. I want to crack open a good book and lose myself. And I don't I don't want to go on Twitter and engage in these idiotic debates for hours on end. As a matter of fact, I took a, a week long social media break not long ago, and it was it was wonderful. But about four days into my seven day absence from Twitter, there was that little nagging voice in the back of my head saying, hey, you know what? You, you really should be speaking up here because tuning out all of the, uh, the, 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 the scolds, that's eh, probably good for your mental health, <laughs> but you might be hurting your own cause. So even when we don't want to be engaged, we need to be engaged. It's how we engage, I think, that is important. And getting back to this uh, editorial at National Review, they say uh, the lesson of standing against corporate extortion is also one that can be applied to more conventional forms of corporate welfare. Major League Baseball, for example, has long used threats of relocation of franchises to Mau Mau states and cities into giving it handouts, learning to say no 
to cultural shakedowns is good practice for reviving the freedom of state and local governments more generally from rent-seeking corporations. We saw this again in Georgia, where the Georgia House passed a bill in the uh, waning days of the uh, legislative session that would have taken away a huge tax break for Delta. Now, the Georgia State Senate did not act on that proposal before the legislature adjourned for the session, so that tax break remains in place, but it certainly uh, this issue can be revived when the legislature returns if Delta is still carrying the water for the illiberal left. The National Review editors write, we would prefer to see a more even-handed governance, a governance rather, and fewer favors done for particular businesses. Is a sad state of affairs when state lawmakers retaliate against businesses for their political stances, but we can't blame the Georgia legislature for concluding that it should do fewer favors for Delta if the company has made itself an opponent of democratic self-government in the state. In America, they write, airlines and baseball teams do not get to decide how elections are run. The sooner Republicans in Georgia South Dakota and other states remind them of that, the better. That is true in those aspects. But here's the thing. You know, again, I, I cover Second Amendment issues on a daily basis. And so I've seen personally over the last decade how huge financial institutions like Bank of America have waded into the gun control debate. And they've actually said, we're not going to do business with companies that sell products that are perfectly legal to own, but that gun control advocates don't like. And so you've had major financial institutions deny their services to fire manufacturers, to gun stores, even small independent businesses. They can't get access to these big banks. And so they're forced to turn elsewhere to try to get, you know, credit for loans to expand their business and things of that nature. There were attempts in the uh, uh, last few months of the Trump administration to actually put a halt to this. Uh, There was a proposed rule by a little known government agency called the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. I confess, I had never heard of this agency before they put this the, the, this uh, rule in place. But they put a rule in into effect, and uh, I think it was like the final week of the Trump administration, that specifically told financial institutions, you cannot discriminate against businesses for any reason other than it's not a good investment. It's, you know, if, 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 if a business comes to you and they say, look, we want a loan, you can't turn them down because you don't like the product that they sell. You can turn them down because it's a, a high risk for the financial institution. You're worried that they don't have the uh, funding to pay back that loan. And so, the, you know, the, you're going to be out money, but you can't turn them down simply because of their political viewpoint or because of the product that they sell. One of the very first actions that the Biden administration took was to undo that rule. Unfortunately, the rule was put in place uh, so late in the game in the Trump administration that it was an easy enough thing for the Biden administration to say, yeah, you know what, we're just simply going to put a halt to that uh, and uh, we're going to rescind that rule so it's not going to take effect. So at the moment, we do still see these financial institutions that that, that can wield that club 
over businesses that are selling products that uh, the left doesn't like or taking political stands that the left doesn't like. And this is, I think, one thing that the uh, editors of National Review really do fail to address. It is one thing to say, look, stand up to Major League Baseball. Let them move the Atlanta Braves uh, to Las Vegas if they want to. Uh, no, no big laws. Or even Delta Airlines. But when we're talking about the ability to deny funding and the ability to deny lines of credit, the ability to, to deny those financial lifelines to businesses, simply standing up and saying no isn't going to be enough. In, in that case, we do need real legislative action from Republicans, both at the state level right now, because there's no reason why states couldn't put a similar rule in place that you found uh, from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. But when Republicans uh, take power back in Washington, D.C., this needs to be a top priority. And by the way, there needs to be a level, an even playing field. If a, if a bank is run by conservatives, they shouldn't be able to uh, uh, deny funding to a company simply because they don't like a, a progressive point of view. Again, it, it should be, uh, viewpoint should have nothing to do with it. But the left isn't worried about conservative banks denying funding to progressive causes because that's not what's happening right now. What's happening is that these institutions are either voluntarily or uh, uh, being sort of pushed into this position to uh, adopt the progressive point of view and to target those on the right for the positions that they hold and, again, in some cases, the product that they sell. All right, we're going to step away for a moment or two, but we do have much more of Tony Cast today coming up after a quick timeout. Stick around. Number to call, 833-GOT-TONY. We'll be back with much more right after this. Welcome back. It is Tony Katz today. My name is Cam Edwards. You can find me on Twitter at Cam Edwards. And uh, yes, I am back from my social media break. I didn't want to... But, uh, you know, you, you, we've got to be engaged in this fight, whether we like it or not. It is uh, it's nice to take a break. I, I definitely believe you need to be able to step away every now and then. But uh, we cannot let the lies go unchecked. And unfortunately, there are a lot of lies out there, uh, including lies from Joe Biden, uh, who's lying repeatedly about this Georgia voting bill. He has lied about the early voting hours. He's called this Jim Crow 2.0. Jen Psaki was asked about this at the White House press briefing on Thursday. Uh, and uh, uh, the question was, is the tone going to change out of the White House? She said the tone for a bill that limits voting access and makes it more difficult for people to engage in voting in Georgia. Well, that's not what the bill does in Georgia. In fact, the Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler even tweeted last night, quote, it's hard for any White House to admit error, especially when the president has three times repeated the falsehood. But this is becoming a pretty deep hole. Glenn Kessler, I think, <laughs> uh, engaging in a little bit of spin here, because this isn't an error 
on the part of the White House. They know exactly what they're saying. They know exactly what the messaging is. They know that they're lying. And they also know that, well, a Washington Post fact checker like Glenn Kessler might, uh, you know, send out a random tweet saying, boy, they're really sending out this erroneous information. The Washington Post is not not going to run a front voting bill, which is the case. They know that the media is going to provide cover for the lies from the administration. Specifically on this issue, by the way, the Georgia voting bill, where, uh, you know, Biden keeps saying this is going to restrict people from voting. It does not. The new law requires early voting from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday, the week before the election. But it also gives counties the option of expanding those hours as early as 7 a.m. and as late as 7 p.m. Counties also have to hold two Saturdays of early voting from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they have the option to hold early voting on or both of these Sundays during that period as well. That's actually an expansion of the early voting hours in Georgia compared to what it was before this bill was passed. Georgia is making it easier for people to vote early because the previous law required Monday through Friday voting during, quote, normal business hours, which were up to each county to interpret. And some counties were saying, well, normal business hours, uh, not nine to five. It, it might be like nine to three or, uh, you know, 10 to four, something like that. Uh, it also required the previous law, one mandatory Saturday of early voting from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Now, again, under this new law, it requires two Saturdays. It adds an additional hour in that and add as much as four more hours adding in 16 hours. Actually, they've got 24 more hours of early voting because they can add Sundays and they could do seven to seven as well. So again, this isn't just here. This is a matter of Joe Biden and the White House lying about this bill to the American people. Why? Because the White House really wants to get, and Democrats on Washington uh, in, in Capitol Hill, federalization of elections legislation passed out of the Senate. They don't have the votes to do it right now. And so they're trying to demagogue on this issue, claiming that this bill is so racist in Georgia and is designed to disenfranchise voters that the only thing to do is for the federal government to step in and take control of elections across the entire country, which uh, so far have not been willing to sign on to. Uh, Even uh, Gabriel Sterling, who's the uh, uh, deputy uh, voting director in Georgia, uh, and one of the guys who, you know, got in trouble from the right, 
for criticizing uh, uh, Donald Trump's questioning of the Georgia election results, said that, quote, Democrats have found a wonderful fundraising and turnout model based on one particular thing, voter suppression, voter suppression, and racist voter suppression. And it works, he says. It's part of the rationale behind H.R. 1. He says, I think it's morally reprehensible and disgusting that Biden is perpetuating economic blackmail over a lie. Well, I do, too. But we can think it reprehensible. It's not going to stop the Democrats from doing it. All right, stick around. Hour three of Tony Katz today is coming up right after this quick break.